Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation, Art, Culture, and Ideas in Hawaii. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Can't wait for our adventure up Waianae. But first, we're launching the show with trusted guides in an area that hasn't really been discussed before. The Hui Ma Kahikina Declaration on the Integrity, Stewardship, and Protection of Hula was drafted at a Congress of Hula Practitioners this past September. 200 Kumu Hula, or Hula teachers, have now signed on to this statement about what Hula is and how to protect its future. Two of them are here to walk us through some of the major ideas. Kumu Hula Hokulani Holt is an esteemed community leader. She's been director of Hawaiian programs at Maui Community College and was the first cultural programs director at Maui Arts and Cultural Center. Holt opened her Halau Pau Ohi'iaka in 1976. Cody Pueopata is an educator and cultural practitioner from Pukalani, Maui. He's Kumuhula of Kamalama Mahilani on Maui, Oahu, and Japan. A signatory to the Huamakahikina Declaration, Pata says the statement evolved after Kumuhula across the state gathered in response to the COVID pandemic back in 2020. Mehano Kala Hind, she's a Kumuhula no Ahu, um, knew that there was a, a, a need for us to convene just to care for our Pacific Islander and our Hawaii community here back in August of 2020. She put the call out and there was about 60 of us, I think, that answered the call and we began to meet regularly. And the discussions led to uh, worries about hula in modern times. But they're the same topics that has plagued Kumuhula for years and years and years with no result. So we took everything and we decided, let's see what we can do to bring some result. If you define what is Hula, what are the implications of the knowledge base, and you get to where you define a Kumuhula, and from that, so much emerges. Talk about the kind of conversation behind that definition? Traditionally, being a kumuhula was passed on directly from teacher to student. That creates a koleana, a responsibility to your teachers and their teachers, as well as to the future and your students. As hula began to spread throughout the world, some of that became less practiced, yeah? With that also arose the question about kuleana or responsibility to the past, to the knowledge you have acquired, to the teachers you have had, and then therefore how you carry that forward into the future and the students that you will have. Those definitions went back to traditionally how a kumuhula came to be. Well? Exactly true. It's about pilina, right? A relationship, the formal relationship between a teacher and their student. Not only does the student recognize their teacher as being the teacher, but the, the teacher recognizes that student as being the, the proper heir for the knowledge that they're passing on. Once this student is ready to graduate, Others in the community can recognize the authority given to that person to carry on the lineage. If you notice, the language in the declaration is broad enough to cover all ways in which that can happen. In many family lineages where it's passed on in the family, the senior kumuhula can just say, okay, it's time, your turn, which is what happened to me, my auntie and my mother called me and told me it was time I became a kumuhula and had my own hello. I was not enthusiastic about that. I wanted to dance some more, but because if your kumu says so, then, then they have faith in you. And who are you to not have faith in yourself when your master teacher has faith in you? And so off I went and my mother and my auntie helped me. I had danced with Hoakale Kamalpu in Honolulu and she taught me how to teach. I would teach for her. 
But it was my ohana that taught me how to be a kumuhula in my family's church. Could you just talk about the range of what that might involve? Because that was another revelation that really kumuhula are keepers of a wide range of practices and knowledge. Hula touches every aspect of Hawaiian life. Every aspect of Hawaiian life, hula touches on that because hula was and continues to be the repository of information and knowledge relating to Hawaiian culture. So we must know about our environment in all of its aspects. How do you make adornments for your hula performance or for your ceremonial activity if you don't know how the plant grow, if it's going to be available at this current time of year, where it's growing, you have to know all aspects just of that, plus the many ways to make a lei in order for it to be appropriate for time, place, and situation. That goes to everything, costuming, colors. How does that carry the ideas and the knowledge within the chant itself into the ear and the body of the one who is expressing it. I say almost, but I think every aspect of, of Hawaiian life, a kumuhula needs to know in order to appropriately chant or dance one hula. Yeah, yeah. If we have hula on Saturday and I tell my mom, mom, I'm going to hula, and we can be printing pa'u, we could be dyeing something, we could be making lei, we could be harvesting, we could be dancing, we could be chanting. The multiplex of hula, that's what hula is. And hula, one of our traditional responsibilities is to be environmental stewards on down from that. So we have to know moon phases, weather patterns, winds and, and rains, so that we know what to expect when these things come. Like when well, just said, oh, winds and stuff. In a melee, if they talk about the kawaloku rain, if you don't know that the kawaloku rain is super heavy and floods the lands that it comes on. Those are the rains of Hanalei, right? Right. We cannot be doing this, this light, feathery looking rain. So, oh, so you were you what? folks were seeing these sort of odd combinations and people were doing motions and singing songs that just did not match out there. That must have been a little painful. No comment. <laughs> it, it was painful. It continues to be painful. But well, because I see here in the Ha'avina part, number yeah, five, all the articles. Mm -hmm. The articles. Okay, any dance performed not transmitted by a kumuhula, presented by a kumuhula's permission, or conforming to what we've just described as hula. That's not hula, you say. Yep. Do you, I mean, that's, do you expect some pushback on that? The, the pushback would be from people who have been perpetuating things that are not considered hula. And just, just for your understanding, the initial process for this declaration, we had about 40 to 60 people chiming in when we had our modification sessions. Then um, we had a strategy support team of one kumuhula, one strategist, and six lawyers fine-tune it into the draft that we sent to all registrants. And there were 160 kumuhula who participated in the convention to actively modify and ratify this this uh, declaration. Then an additional 40-ish, um, altogether 200 lineally acknowledged kumuhula came together to say, we unanimously ratify and support this as our statement about ourselves. It's pretty safe to say that we touched nearly every single hula lineage that we, we know of. And so when, when you ask, is there pushback going to occur from that particular statement? There may be, but it, the pushback isn't coming from lineally acknowledged kumuhula. Were there people that you had to say, hey, I don't know if you can really be here because, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so yes. to think that today we know every hula lineage is to me almost impossible. But we know a lot now because of this. And I um, think and one of the important lines we drew in the sand is that you folks out there need to recognize kumuhula. 
as the folks that have these knowledge bases and have these recognized awarenesses of hula. The right person to teach hula at any given hula place is Zakumu Hula. Kua Makahikina is an open coalition for all linearly acknowledged kumuhula. We have organized to advocate for the integrity, stewardship, and protection of hula. And that includes hula being a tangible and intangible cultural heritage of the Hawaiian people. And it's the official state dance of, of Hawaii. Yet there is little to no public funding or facilities for hula. Isn't that funny, Noi? You have public funding for almost every sport in Hawaii, including pickleball, publicly funded, but no hula place. What would a hula place be like? Auntie Hoko and I have also been working um, on designs for what these types of facilities for hula would look like. From the, the things that we would grow, the types of cooking, bathing, the types of bathrooms, to host ceremony, to be able to host halal that, that's going to compete at Mary Monarch, to the smaller halal that don't compete. Because Kumuhula are responsible for paying their rent, if we have these public facilities where we don't have to necessarily pay a lot of rent for, that will lower our tuition and allow more people access to hula. That's why I like you guys, because when the time is right, you have the plan ready. As an advocacy group, too, um, we're still trying to figure out how we want to formally organize Hua Makahikina. Do we want to form as a guild system where we also provide um, insurance for our Kumuhula members? How many Kumuhula do we know died underinsured and poor? So what about a retirement system or some type of, of thing like that? In a capitalist system, why are Kumuhula still expected to provide our services for free? To the state and county governments, to the federal governments, oh, you're, you're an expert. Can you do this for free? What Puel is saying is absolutely correct. People expect us to come when they call. It's expected. And many of us do it gladly, but you don't expect that of other experts. You don't expect that from an archeologist, from an anthropologist. And I, and I think it's all these years of colonization of the mind in which we have been told all these years that Hawaiians give freely. This is aloha, you give freely. But we forget that even in our ali'i times, our ali'i supported us. They gave us land. They gave us people to, to do our household chores so we could learn our chants, so we could teach our hula. They gave us places to live. They supported their arts and their knowledge bearers. That doesn't happen. And when a kumuhula asks, which we, we're really uji about asking about money, we're just uji about that. People look at you like, what do you mean you're asking to be paid? Don't you give this because of aloha? Well, aloha doesn't put food on your table. Exactly. You know? So for some kumuhula, these are hard conversations. They don't like to talk about this and they won't. But nobody is going to advocate for kumuhula. So we have to say it on our behalf. And Tihoku pointed out, amongst the ratifiers, you have every level also of, of people who are credentialed in Western systems who are saying, I've gone through the system, but I've also gone through hula. I can attest that our training in hula is commensurate with these types of ed education and these types of credentialings. In Hawaii, the system of teaching solidified over 1,500 to 1,200 years here. And in this system, we don't teach to the proficiency level of satisfactory. Only once you've mastered that lesson, then you move to the next one. Hula only seek after excellence because that's what our teachers taught us. We must only seek after excellence. Okay, so help me with this part of it. All those kind of dancing that's done by people that are taught by we don't know whom. What's the other name for it? You don't want to call it called Hawaiian dancing, do you? Hula hula. There's a specific term, hula hula. 
Really? With, with a lowercase h. We, we dance hula with a capital H. Hula, and then there's hula hula. <laughs> what are those dances that are not hula? Oh, okay. Got it. Kumu hula, hokulani hold, and kumu hula kodi pata, sharing ideas from the Huama Kaki Kina Declaration on the Integrity, Stewardship, and Protection of Hula. Read the declaration yourself. We've got a link with this story on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. Today, we'll be using the term houseless instead of homeless. It's the term unsheltered people consider more accurate. In 2018, up to 300 houseless people were camping at Waianae Boat Harbor. That's the year they were threatened with eviction. And in a sudden turn, the state agreed to let the people stay and figure out a community solution. In fact, though the encampment's sprawling and brushy, it has operated a lot like a village for the last 10 years. Everybody got to see this because in a radical move, the encampment started offering tours. We could see the place was a pretty tight ship run by one Twinkle Borge. And the group that came up with the tour idea was a tiny nonprofit, Hui Aloha. The tours and public support turned the tide, and today... We're looking at the results. James Koshiba is a volunteer with Hui Aloha. He's on a first-name basis with unsheltered people across Oahu. He offered to take me through what has become a true pu'uhunua o Waianae, a refuge on the Waianae coast. At the edge of the harbor parking lot, we walked a dirt path toward the Kiava shaded entrance and caught up with Murray, one of four village overseers. I asked Murray, where he was before this. I was by 7-Eleven, by the bathroom over there when I had the bathroom. That's where I was before I came here. I was supposed to be here from the get-go, but um, I was just a little hard-headed at the time and didn't want to. Uh oh, how come you didn't want to come here? Uh, I don't know, I just do my own thing out there, you know what I mean? A lot of people too, when when Twinkle or others invite them, they're a little bit gun shy because they're like, you know, they don't know what to expect when they come into the village too. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's true. I was kind of like that too. Mm. I mean, when yeah. I got swept, when we got swept over there at the bathroom and stuff, that's when she sent a little birdie and tell me to get my butt home now. <laughs> <laughs> And by home she meant come over here. Yeah. yeah. And I have, I have, I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here. And it was a little rough from the get-go, but ironed out those wrinkles and whatnot. So. How long ago was that? I'm going on four years now. Yeah, four years. And from before, were you kind of like a take-charge guy? Yes. Or you were, oh, yes. Okay. Being a leader in any situation, oh. It can be tough, you know, you have yeah. hard-head people, you get the guys that don't want to come out to clean on cleanups, but yeah. as frustrating as it is, Murray keeps at it and, you know, does his best to approach it with heart every time, I mean, yeah. I appreciate that about your style, when Murray. When asks me to do something, I don't tell her no. <laughs> Anything she asks me to do, I'll do it. I don't care what, I'm going to do it for her. I'm on it. Does, do people pay rent here, by the way? No, no. Oh. See, they, 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 they rent free. They get free food, free clothes, a, a place to rest their head. They don't have to worry about the police coming over and bothering them and stuff like that. But yeah, they still, we have some of them that still they complain about stuff like that. Yeah, so this is the village of Pohono Owainai. It's home to roughly 250 people. Um, this is state land. It's uh, DLNR land. And the village has been here kind of organized in this way probably for a decade or a little over a decade. 
under the leadership of Twinkle Borge. Tell me how this encampment is different from other encampments around Oahu. You know them pretty well. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, this is, the, this is the model community in many ways. I mean, this, because of Twinkle's leadership and the way she leads, this is a highly organized community, you know? I think you heard Murray um, saying earlier that one of the expectations when people come to live in the village is that everybody takes some kuleana for the operation of the village. And so you can do that by participating in the village's neighborhood watch, which happens every night. You can help staff the food pantry. That's this. They have a <laughs> food pantry where all the donated food items go. You can help staff the, um, the donation tent, which is where people go for clothing or household goods. That's a little bit down the row here. The village regularly cleans up illegal dump sites, refurbishes park bathrooms, takes care of the city and county parks, or you can join the village's outreach team, which is about a dozen folks that go out every week and share clothing, food, hygiene with other houses encampments. Other encampments are organized too, but not or as organized as this. I mean, and again, it goes back to Twinkle's leadership and that philosophy of Kuliana wakes up people's mana. And so that's one of her gifts is she organizes people and creates roles for people. She can recognize people's gifts and then create roles for them to take on in the village, you know? <laughs> you guys hanging in? You guys ready for the inspection coming Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, it's my friend Noah. This is Jerry. Hi, Jerry. The one and only. I met Jerry when he was living at Pokai Bay and kind of taking care of the bathrooms at Pokai Bay. Oh, yeah. Long time ago then. Me and my wife was doing that. It was Jerry and Waynette. Anytime there was even a little bit of graffiti, they had the paints to go and touch up <gasps> the mural. So for months afterwards, these guys... So much graffiti. So uh, did the boys back to paint whatever and then sweet mop, uh, sweet. Shot our um, pipes all over, shoot them down, shoot the bathroom, oh, shoot the ground, yeah. shoot the toilets, shoot the walls, and then I shoot the inside, then I shoot the walls on the outside, and then go to the girls' bathroom, then I do the same thing, I just clean up, whatever, and then just spray, oh. paint, whatever. Did you feel really good after that? Yeah, I, mean, I feel good. I feel good because every time you go to Pokai Bay, get parties, whatever. They ask for toilet paper, I give them toilet paper. I'll keep them on you. Then I just fill up the bathrooms with toilet right. paper and whatever they need. So. A lot of guys would thank you too, yeah? Would, yeah. would say thank you to you and Wayne. Yeah. yeah. The hard work that we did, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah, that's all good, you know. Yeah. Know how it is. Yeah. yeah. Because Twinkle has built this village on a a spirit of service to the wider community. It's built a lot of support from housed people for this village, and it's made all kinds of solutions, permanent solutions to homelessness possible. It's made it possible for them to raise money privately, purchase their own land. It's a homeless person advocating for herself and her own constituency? No, not only that. What? This okay. village is an asset to the wider community, and the wider community knows it. You know, like that, that food pantry, it's open to anybody from this area that needs food. Oh. So they come in, they can take whatever they need. Same with the donation tent. The outreach, everybody knows that Twinkle and her crew uh -huh. always go out and do outreach to other houseless people. Uh -huh. And they know that if this village didn't exist here, not only would this park and that A-frame be less well taken care of, <laughs> 250 people that live here would be scattered across the coast. She's made the village and its people an asset to the wider community. And what that means is when the village wanted to find its own land, they had both the financial support to go do it, but also the community support. They still had some not-in-my-backyard resistance, but it was nothing like what other projects face. So building community helps to tackle some of the biggest obstacles to bringing people home. Yeah. James Koshiba, volunteer with Hui Aloha. We're going to pick up lunch and head Mauka to meet Twinkle Borge and see the new Pu'uhonua Owai'anae homestead. The houseless village now has a home. 
Here's Makaha Sons of Ni'ihau from the West Side with Kuili's Classic. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Chaminade University. The news and music you hear on HPR are helped made possible by nearly 200 local organizations, reaching you with their message and making a difference every day. Hawaii Care Choices and Castle & Cook Homes Hawaii, Coral Ridge. They believe, just as you do, in the power of public radio. See a full list of our underwriters at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from HomeWorks Construction, a full-service design-build general contractor that takes a project from concept to completion. Specializing in custom homes and full-home remodels, homeworksconstruction.com. October is LGBTQ History Month, an opportunity to learn more about lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer or questioning history. October 11th was National Coming Out Day, referring to coming out of the closet with whoever you really are. Today, Hinale Moana Wong's coming out story. A respected educator and cultural leader, Kumuhina met me in Waikiki, and we visited Kapai Mahu, the majestic healing stones at the edge of Kuhio Beach. These stones are linked to healers who were not specifically male or female. From a Western and American perspective, the understanding of transgender can take on a whole different kind of nuance, a whole different meaning, and a whole different perspective. But from Hawaiian and other Pacific Islander views, those of us who occupy a space and place in the middle, those of us who have both elements of male and female, kane and wahine, each individual is to his or her own varying degree. We don't necessarily fall into distinct categories uh transgender so you're you're not talking about gay you're not talking about bi you're not talking about lesbian you're talking about what are you talking about well that's that's rather what i mean is that western culture especially in american culture there's great emphasis placed on a label are you gay are you bi are you lesbian are you trans what are you and we, as Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders, we identify by our name, by our family. We identify by either the town or the village that we come from. We identify by the island that we call home. We, we know the streams and rivers and the mountains of our places. And we come from these places. We are attached to these places. We come from generations of a people who populated the Pacific as Pacific Islanders, when we say who we are, my name is not just Hinale Moana. And from the American perspective, oh, and by the way, I'm transgender. That's not how we look at the world. I am Hinale Moana. I am the Keiki. I am the Kama. I am the Hanau, the offspring of Georgette and Henry. I am the grandchild. I am the Mo'opuna of Mona, Kealoha, and John Matias, and Edith. Look and Henry Wong. I do not have to identify by the articulation of my gender identity or by my sex. I do not have to tell you that I have a vagina or a penis between my legs. I do not have to tell you that I was born my family's son, but I have 
fully transition to become their daughter. I don't have to identify by those things because those things are rather irrelevant to what my family and the society that I come from say about me and my worth and my value. Western and American culture um, place great emphasis. It's almost like they put a penis or a vagina on your forehead. So you have to identify by that. When you walk up to say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm gay. Well, what's the purpose of saying that? Why does somebody have to identify as that? Why can't you and I look at each other? Hi, your name is Noe. My name is Hina. Hi, what do you do? This is what I do. You know, where are you from? This is where I'm from. In Hawaiian culture, is there that big differentiation between whether you, you love men, whether you love women, whether you love both, whether you want to change to a man, it's irrelevant. whether you want to change to a woman? It's irrelevant. That's, that's not the basis of determining somebody's worth. Absolutely not. And, <laughs> well, and Western culture places a great emphasis on that. But even aside from worth, uh, is there a way to describe it, those differences? What do you mean describe those? You know, like somebody who, women who love women. My personal preference, I am someone who is attracted to men, biological men. But my preference is irrelevant. In the culture that I come from, it shouldn't matter. I will bring home whom I feel is worthy of not only my love, time, and attention, but I will bring home somebody whom I feel that my family might take favor in upon. And then again, even if they didn't take favor, I might just bring them home with me anyway. But that's my independent choice. And, you know, there are some families who would deal very well with that and some families who won't. So what difference Whether, does it make in society that, that well, like that? Well, everybody, you know, initially focused on, on, oh, you, 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 oh, you're changing, oh, you know. In my Chinese family, I did exactly what was the expectation of me. And my father was very staunchly Chinese, even though he grew up here in Hawaii. It was humility and filial piety and loyalty to the family. I was loyal to my father and my grandmother. I was loyal to the values and the ideals that were espoused in our household. And I did as my father said. And when my father said, I only have two things that I want of you. I want you to finish school and take care of your grandmother. And after that, I don't care what you go do. You can be a rubbish picker for all I care. His exact words. And I fulfilled that. I fulfilled it above and beyond the call of duty. So I earned my father's love and respect. And no matter how much he may like, dislike, agree or disagree with my life's uh, direction and choices, it's irrelevant because I fulfilled my father's charge for me to do. I transitioned in front of my father. And no matter how many years pass, I will always have my father's support. Even when I screw up and when I mess up, I will always have my father's support and unconditional acceptance. And I say it with confidence. Will I be a disappointment? I might be to a certain degree, but it doesn't mean that he's going to stop loving me. Oh man, I think of the people who have to go through life without that. Yes, and I know I'm very fortunate. But Hawaiian society, in my Hawaiian household, same thing. I was raised by my grandparents on both sides. And my mom's mom raised me and infused me with the understanding to, to be strong in as much as I could do for, for Hawaiian language and people and culture and to do things Hawaiian and to honor it, to cherish it, to promote it, perpetuate it, promulgate it. And my grandfather, he was a man of prayer above all else. My grandfather was a staunch member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And so his being Hawaiian was secondary to that. Mm. 
but his prayer life is what I carry with me to till today. So too was it in my Chinese side, so too was it in my Hawaiian side. That I had to fulfill duties and responsibilities made of me. For that, I have earned the respect on both sides of my family. So now in my adult life, I really wanted to say that it doesn't matter how you identify in Western terms. In Hawaiian and Pacific Islander understanding, again, I am the child of so-and-so, I'm the grandchild of so-and-so. I am from Lilihapu'unui in Mokuokona on the island of Oahu in the valley of Nu'uanu within Konamoku or Honolulu district. Lanihuli is the highest mountain peak of my valley. Nu'uanu stream, Waikahalulu stream are the, the bodies of water that flow through my my place of living. I identify by my culture first. Kumu Hinalemoana Wong co-produced an Oscar-nominated animation about Kapai Mahu, Waikiki's healing stones. She composed this Hoku award-winning anthem, Ku Ha'aheo. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Dr. Larry Ward, author of America's Racial Karma. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how we can transform it individually and collectively. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. It was glorious out the west side when I visited Pu'uhonua Owai'anae's new home up Mocha. You got to head way up a just windy, scraggly road. I mean, sorry, guys, I know it took a lot, but once you get up there, it's all blue ocean at Pokai Bay. Once you get to that corral they got going, the boat harbors directly Makai. The clearing is underway on the 20 acres. There's an A-frame going up. James Koshiba, a volunteer with Hui Aloha and I, are having lunch with Twinkle Borge, the loving matriarch and primary energy generator slash quip cracker for the Pu'uhonua community and beyond. How was it down there? Right. I wasn't sure what you wanted, so I got the garlic chicken and okay. uh, put that in lumpia. Oh, okay. Oh. When we got down there, they was working, so he's looking They're good. good. He's looking good. Yep. I sit down there working. Everybody try to push me in. Go home, Mama. Go take your baby. Nah, baby, <laughs> all right. She's on my back. <laughs> She just smile and laugh. You hear laughing when I'm bending down. Whose baby is that? My nephew who live in a village. Mm. The girlfriend was pregnant. Three days later he come ask me if I would be willing to take care that he not ready. And I look at him and I said, wow. You know, I never I never thought that I was gonna take over one born newborn. When baby was born positive with met. When baby came to me, baby had Tourette's. Like she would just spiral out like it was nobody's business. And I had to learn about that. But you know, and today she beat all odds. She'll always respond. The parents just don't know how fortunate they are to have her. People like us cannot have kids. She stays with you now? Yeah, you so I'm gonna go for a legal I'm gonna go for a legal um, guardian everything for her. Aww. Yeah. You know, because if I'm gonna put all of me into her, I want all of her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Even when I went doctor, she had to have her first shot. Oh, I cried. I was like, <laughs> looking at the doctor, I told her, I know. I said, from now on, you got to go in with her when she do her shot. I said, because I, I started to think evil. <laughs> and I was cracking up. I said, Mama, I stabbed him with the knee. <laughs> she started crying. I started crying. 
getting in the season again, right? Though Thanksgiving, Christmas, yeah. all that. I know you guys. It's gonna get crazy. Up for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Last year we had our first Christmas up here. It was beautiful. Oh, really? My friend they came in with their bike clubs, and I swear we filled this whole place out. <laughs> we had neighbors coming out looking from their porches and everything to see what was the rocket going on, not knowing that that my high school friends that was bringing gifts to the kids. Oh, I'm about to park. Patele Lupia is awesome. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Thank you. No, no, I'm good. Thank you. Even still today, our people still get yelled at. You're houseless, you're chronic. We're not that. Of course, we get some people that use, okay? We're helping them to make that difference. But we also get people with um, um, disease, you know? We get two people, one get full body Parkinson. We get one Auntie Joey who was just diagnosed about five years ago with Parkinson. When she calls me daily, you know, she calls because she don't want to forget anything. She has also beginning stages of dementia. My God, you're supporting somebody who's calling you for the, so that they don't forget stuff? Yeah. Oh God. But I also had a guy before I put him into a home. Um, his name was Louis. And he was one that couldn't even shower himself. So I would go out every day with him like, come on, Louis, let's go. We got we to gotta take a shower. Okay. And all I would have him do was hold onto the cement while I scrub him everything. And the people in the village would they would just stand there and be like, look at mama, she's giving him a bat. I wouldn't care, you know, because he's somebody too. No more his family around the kids, his kids don't like come around him. And that's something that he gotta repair with them, but that no mean I'm gonna leave him like that. Uh, there was times where I gotta cook his food, sometimes I gotta feed him, you know, and I will do that for them. And I would just sit down because they there. You gotta help. Tell me about who else is on the coastline, not at Honua Owai and I. You know, how is the Oh, situation? we have a lot. Miley Beach had its own. And Miley Beach was from um, Kaukama all the way to St. John's Road. You had people. I remember going to be, um, 76 when I first came houseless. They had a whole encampment there, and in the middle of the encampment, actually had like one store, like on Ross's. It was brand new clothes, and everything was on racks. Oh. But it wasn't a donation, you had to buy it. Mm. You know, that's the difference between them and us. That we do have brand new stuff that go in, and my thing is, get them out. We should be able to help anybody and let them look good, whether if it's for job search or even for going to school. Do you think they do come to the store at Honua Waianae? Oh, we have a lot that do come. Oh, really? I, we even help families. Um, there was a couple of families that their homes burnt. And even when them getting into a home, I always will ask, like, hey, I can help furnish you. You know, just let me know what you need. If we got to stop bottom up, well, we can do it. Do you think that part of why there's less people out on the beach is that there's more people kind of in hiding too. See, even like down here in Waina, you only think the beaches is where the houseless is at. Yeah, but no, you get people up in the mountains too that we know about also. You also get an encampment up in this side to Pasca Ala Farm. You get one on Ikuoni Street. Then you get a couple more down in Maka that people don't know about. But the one in Maka, they got on water line at least, they tap into them. Like if they do come out, that's only for food and for necessities and then they go back in. Yeah. How many might be there, you think? Total houseless on the leeward coast. I would say 500 plus. For real. I would say 500 plus if you're looking anywhere from Yokohama's all the way out to Black Rocks. Black Rocks get pretty much, you, you kind of flip out in how people live because they live off the cliff too. And they get like golf course grass and everything. Honestly, their area is so beautiful. You get up to the scenery of the ocean. As you're making your way coming around, I'm um, going Ko'olina. You will never think of people who live on the bottom of the cliff. And how you get down to there is you gotta climb the ladder. Then you get out about maybe 10 families down there. Yeah. Like for us, we go through every nook and cranny. Kapolei, there's, there's a huge area also that people don't know about. But we go out there and we service on, on Fridays. Yeah. It's not as bad as it was before. Like when I first became houseless. Yeah, it was in the 2000s. The way I see it today from then, big difference. You no longer see the houseless out in Miley. When you're coming by BKs, you're not gonna see anything as you're passing the, the street or what, but if you come over the, the hill, uh, going towards the ocean, there is about like 30 caves 
and that's where you will find the people in the caves. So you really no can see they really out of sight, out of mind. Pohonua once was out of sight, out of mind. Over the years, our place changed many times. Like, How? In um, way? Now the village can be seen. You know, today we have tours. When they wanted to do the sweep on us, it was a scary moment for me because if they did do the sweep, where was everybody going to go? Would our kids have to climb the mountain just to seek refuge? That's the kind of things that's going through my head. And my whole thing was, well, if my parents, you know, I wouldn't care what my parents said because I'm going to be home all the kids. They're going to have to just deal with Twinkle. And I, that, we basically was raised like that. I mean, even for me growing up and my parents um, own, own their own canoe club, we always had other people's kids with us. So it was kind of in our blood, you know, for take people in. But I think out of all my siblings, I, I was a little bit more crazier one that, yeah, I'll take you home with us. You can stay with us forever, you know. <laughs> but I would always say this. You mess with my bitch and you mess with my dogs, you're going to get leaking. <laughs> so my bitch was my girlfriend and my dogs is my kids. And everybody knew that about me. I look at it today as it's just a codependent thing. You know, that love went out the window the moment I became sober. I came sober almost 14 years ago. Uh, since my niece had my nephew, Kaisen, he was the reason why I stayed sober. I would love you for meet him. You know, oh. because he always asked me like, Auntie, how come you love me so much, you know? He doesn't realize that he's the one that saved my life, yeah? He the one who teach me to love all over again. <laughs> For real, like, like just to show that people love, yeah? Because I never seen the love in my house. Mm. I found the love on the streets. Mm. And I was that one child that always stayed on the streets. We just came from down there. You can look here and see so much more than I can, Twinkle. Yeah. Describe for people where we are. This is a dream come true, yeah. But I never thought we would be sitting on our own land, on our own property, and making things happen. I mean, our first holiday going up. Who would have thought one houseless community would be able to raise that money? And no laughing joke, it was hard. We work with some people with beautiful hearts, and for them to believe in us, and for them to help us in doing what we gotta do to bring people home, how did it happen? Really, honestly, how did that happen? Him. Honestly, for me, James Koshiba. was James Koshiba. He was a needle in a haystack. And That's me and Pakele, we had this vision and everything, and we had this thing that we wanted to do, but we just didn't know how to do them. We never knew what it takes to actually do on fundraising. We never knew what it has to take to share with people that actually who will listen. How did this get swung though, James? What had to come together for the money side of this? Twinkle did all the hard work of building the village. So the village is such a powerful model of how a community should work. The support was already there. That's what made it possible to sit down with the governor and convince him not to sweep the village was that Twinkle had built that, her village as an asset to the wider community. People knew already. The majority of the money for purchasing the land came from individuals. We had a, a handful of very generous donors. Once they knew about the village and they met Twinkle, they believed in the village and the vision. How much did you have to raise? We had to raise one and a half million dollars. It took us about maybe 14 or 16 months to raise that one and a half million. And so in March of last year, the village became the owner of this 20 acre property. What was the dream you and Pakele had? Was building homes for our people. Was getting a land, build home for our people and bringing them home. So nobody can ever kick them off again and maybe that will heal them. And that was our plan. So far, so good. Twinkle Borge and James Koshiba on Pu'uhunua Owai'anai's homestead. They hope to have homes for 250 people ready by the end of next year. A lot of you listening made this possible. Koshiba mentioned hundreds of volunteer hours from G70 architects, plus heavy lifting from homemade Hawaii Hale partners and dozens more. Fundraising continues at alohaliveshere.org. And the Makaha Sons remind us of the pleasures of Waianae.
culture and entertainment notes for you here. Live music's happening all around town every night. For example, at Nico's Pier. And here's a fabulous opener for your 2022. Joshua Bell performs with the Hawaii Symphony January 2nd. Barber's Concerto, Copeland's Appalachian Spring, Gershwin, American in Paris. You're not going to want to miss that one. Also, tomorrow night at Alpuni Space in Kaka'ako, the Forever 2021 Activation at Alpuni Space. I really think you're going to like it. Yeah. If you're still interested, too, the Hawaii Craftsman opens October 23rd at the Downtown Arts Center. Think you're going to like it. Hope you've enjoyed the program today because that's just about it. All I can say is we could not have done it without you. Members, you know that's true. We love your messages on our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Get those comments going on Facebook, Twitter, Insta. We're there. Visit the conversation page on the HPR website and share our shows. The program, this one right here, is a kako thing. Mahalo, Savannah, Harriman, Pote, Russell Subiono, and Lillian Zong. The theme music is courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Noe Tanigawa. Join us Monday, don't forget, when Catherine Cruz is here to pick up the conversation. Until then, you have a fabulous weekend. Let's take care of each other. And now that you know how, be sure to have a happy Aloha Friday. Thank you.